I have been um, looking at the at the phrase "It is finished," and uh, how many were here on Good Friday, by the way, for our Good Friday service? Was that not really nice? Yeah, it was just such a. I I said after we were walking out, and I said to Helen, "Man, I really enjoyed that. Like I I truly did." Sometimes pastors say that, but I really did. I truly did. We, it was a, about an hour. It was, I think we were bang on an hour, but we read through the Stations of the Cross, and we had communion together, and uh, uh, just it was lovely. But one of the readings, I said all that to say, one of the readings of the cross is when Jesus is hanging there, and his last, one of his last words is, it is finished. And I've been thinking about that phrase uh, for a few weeks, thinking about Easter. It is finished. <clears throat> some of us, and you might be you, some of us are great starters, but not great finishers. You know any people like that? I, I have a friend uh, in Ottawa, and uh, his name is Bill. Uh, if you ever hear this, Bill, you know this is the truth before the Lord. That man could start 5,000 projects and finish none. It, it was a gift. I think it was just a gift. Uh, anyway, he, you know, some of us are great starters, not great finishers. Like, how many things in your life are you yet to finish? You know, like so much stuff, right? Like, the list can be long. And, and people think that just because you're older, your list shrinks. Sometimes as you, as you age, there's more things you want to do and your list gets bigger. It, it, it can be pretty long. Like you've always said to yourself, one day I'm going to like read that book. You know, like, you know that honking like Lord of the Rings in one volume kind of thing? And you've, it's in your library and you go, one day I'm going to conquer that. You know, could be a book. Um, you know, uh, how about, here's the classic projects around the house that you start but you don't finish. And then you go, yeah, you know, one day. I am going to finish the trim in that room. It's going to happen. Don't know when, but one day it's going to happen. You know, all these projects around the house, the list can be long. You have things that you, you, you know, the classic bucket list, right? People have all these things that they want to do uh, before they, they go, and you haven't gotten around to those yet. A lot of us are good starters, but not so great at finishing. Starting something is one thing, but finishing something is a totally separate deal. And Jesus shouted out, by the way. It wasn't, it, it, it wasn't a, a feeble word. I'll read you the scripture later. But the scripture says in Matthew that he shouted it out. It is finished. And it, was this, it, it wasn't the cry of a helpless victim. It was the shout of utter and complete victory. That's what it was. The Greek word that Jesus shouted out that day was, I've been practicing this word. Come on, Jordan, where are you? He's not even here. It's the Greek word is telestai or, or tel- something like that. Let's go with telestai, okay? Something like that. If you're Greek, you can correct me later. But it, it's, it's this one word that he shouted out, telestai, that's what it is. It's actually telestai. That's the correct version. Telestai. And it was a word that was used by the people every day. It was, it was sort of a common word 
It meant it's, it is finished, it meant it is accomplished, it's completed, it is done. It also meant it will always be finished. It, it's in the perfect tense, which means it is perfectly finished. That's what the word means. And so when Jesus is on the cross, just before it says he gives up his spirit, he says, he says, tell us, I keep getting the word wrong. Yeah, tell us die or tell us die. Let's go with tell us die, right? And he yells out the word and and, uh, and there's something very powerful about the word. And I've been thinking about it for a couple of weeks. Here's the passage, John chapter 19, verse 28. It said, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. Interesting word. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. And a jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it put on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head, and he released his spirit. He shouted this word, telestai. It was a word that they would have known, a word that they would have used. A servant would use the word telestai to say, to, to, to tell his master that the job that he had been assigned to was completed. Is it completed? He, he would say, he would say, telestai, right? Completed, finished, perfectly done, right? It was actually uh, a word that the priest would say uh, when somebody would come in in relation uh, to a sacrifice that was offered by somebody. And if, if the sacrifice was acceptable, he would say, telestai. And it would mean this sacrifice that, that you've offered is, is good. It's, it's acceptable. It's perfect. It's well done. It was actually, the word was even used in business. You know, you get a, a receipt nowadays, uh, and some, somebody might write paid, or the odd time you'll get a thing stamped, you know, paid in full. You know, we even still, you still see that today. Well, this was a word that was written on business, in business receipts. When a debt had been paid, or when a purchase was complete, and you were given a receipt, they would, they would write this word on your receipt, telestai, paid in full. Completely done, perfectly finished. This is a really cool word. And the more I started digging into it, the more it started to bless me. The deal is perfectly finished. Jesus finished perfectly so many things that day. His earthly life, all the prophecies regarding his life and his death, his suffering was over, of course. All these things are coming to a perfect conclusion. But what does it all mean to us now? That's the question that we have to ask. It's the question that really needs to be answered. So, wonderful, it is finished, great, it's a cool Greek word, wonderful, but who cares, what does it mean to us? I'm really glad you asked because I think it's important to ask that question. Why is it important to us now? What does it mean to us now, 2,000 years later, that he yelled out, telestai, that it is finished? Well, one of the things that it means for us, one of the benefits that we've received from him finishing his work is simply new life, a new beginning, a new start, right? One of the benefits of having a relationship with Jesus is we are changed personally. You heard some people even in the tank talk about you're transformed into a different person. You, you discover that you're better with him than you were without him. You, you become a better version of what you used to be. Uh, in fact, Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He said, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. 
The old life is gone and a new life has begun. Why we wanted to do baptism today, particularly on Easter, is the symbolic nature of baptism is that we come in with our, in our old life, our old ways, our old way of thinking, our old way of doing things. We get baptized, and as we rise up out of the tank, we leave now changed. We leave committed to the Lord. And there's a symbolism there that, that's very powerful. And this is new life. Uh, look at 1 Peter 2.9, one more. It says, but you are not like that, but for you are a chosen people, you are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. He changes you. So the life, the hope, the peace that comes with knowing Jesus is good news. It is what people receive when they believe in him. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I've come to give you abundant life. And there is a new beginning when we, found, when, when we find him. And, okay, so you might think I'm crazy, but as I was thinking about this, I, I printed out the lyrics of, uh, it's actually, uh, originally it's an old blues song that was sung by B.B. By King. Some of you would know you too, redid it a number of years ago, When Love Comes to Town, right? Anyone know that song? Right? So he's talking about, I don't know what he's talking about in a way, but he's talking about his previous life. Well, I did that. I did that before love came to town. I did. I was like that, but when love came to town, it changed me. I used to be a bad, nasty rascal, but when love came to town, you know, it changed me, and I'm different, and my life is... My life is, uh, is, is changed. Just I, I Look at these words. He said, I was a sailor. I was lost at sea. I was under the waves before love rescued me. I was a fighter. I could turn on a thread. Now I stand accused of the things I've said. When love comes to town, I'm going to jump that train. When love comes to town, I'm going to catch that flame. Maybe I was wrong to ever let you down, but I did what I did before love came to town. We should sing that song. Yeah. Here's the other verse. Okay, that's just inspired. It goes like this. I ran into a jute joint when I heard the guitar scream. The notes were turning blue, and I was dazed in a dream. As the music played, I saw my life turn around. But that was the day before love came to town. When love comes to town, I'm going to jump that train. When love comes to town, I'm going to catch that flame. Maybe I was wrong to ever let you down. But I did what I did before love came to town. Right. So that's something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. All right. Something like that. But I don't even know why I did that. All right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right on, right on. One of the, but here's one of the, uh, the, 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 one of the last verses of this song. It, it got me. He says, I was there when they crucified my Lord. I held the scabbard while the soldier drew his sword. I threw the dice when they pierced his side. But I've seen love conquer the great divide. When love comes to town, I'm going to catch that train. When love comes to town, I'm going to catch that flame. Maybe I was wrong to ever let you down, but I did what I did before love came to town. And I thought, 
man, that's a Christian song. He just may not even know it. Maybe he meant it. I don't even know. But it, it, the words are powerful. And it, it's, it's this thing that we get, you know. When we have a life-changing experience, we're different. Many of you have had life-changing experiences. I, I had a car accident about 20 or so years ago. Uh, I, there's, my life completely changed. My perspective on things changed. Uh, everything changed. It, it was a life-transforming moment for me. Uh, but I'm here to say I lived through it and I'm better for it. But many of you have had those things, and all of us that know the Lord have had it. We have encountered him. Paul says you are a new creation created in Christ Jesus. The old is what? And the new has come. We are new, new life, new beginning. Jesus, by the way, is the love that came to town. Last week on Palm Sunday, we were shaking palm branches and celebrating like they did on Palm Sunday. And uh, the the message was, when Jesus comes to town, uh, praise is the appropriate response. Well, Jesus is the greatest lover ever that we've ever known. And so when love comes to town, I'm saying it's Jesus. And when he comes into your life, you're changed, you're changed, you're changed for the better, always for the better. So you have new life. Second, you have victory. When Jesus shouted, Telestai, it is finished. You all, he also completed this. He gave us victory over sin and victory over death. See, none of the Old Testament sacrifices that the people were making, even up to the day of Jesus, none of those sacrifices could take away sin. You know that they would slaughter a lamb or a cow, and they would, they would you know, it, it was always a blood sacrifice, but the blood of the animals only covered their sin. They, it, it couldn't take away their sin right? It needed, and so because it only covered their sin for a short period of time, it needed to be repeated again and again and again and again. And so they were constantly, constantly offering, offering sacrifices to cover their sin. But Jesus comes, he's called the Lamb of God for a reason. For he comes to shed his blood once and for all to take away the sins of the world. Not to cover them, but to remove them. They are now dealt with, paid for, perfectly telestai, finished, finished, done with, right? He died once and for all. Look at these verses, Hebrews 9, 25. He didn't enter heaven to offer himself again and again like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. This is powerful stuff. Look at John one twenty nine. This is what John says about him. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. And look what he says. He says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John was amazing insight that he had. And look at Isaiah 53, prophesied about him hundreds of years before Jesus was on the earth. It says, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He died once and for all, telestai, paid in full. Nothing else needs to be added. 
Nothing else needs to be done. It is perfect victory, perfect completion, a perfect finish. Every mistake you've ever made, every bad choice you've ever chosen, every sin, every failure, everything that you've ever failed at and felt guilty over, every bit of sin in our life has been paid for. There is nothing that he cannot forgive. I meet people from time to time who say, look, you don't know the life I've led. You don't know the bad things I've done. There's no way that, that God could ever forgive some of the nasty things that I've done. And I say, when love comes to town, baby, it washes you clean and you are perfectly forgiven and set free. I don't care what you've done. He defeated sin on the cross perfectly. Every sin from now until eternity, he's dealt with it on the cross. That's what it is. He is the one. Our sins are paid for, dealt with by the sacrifice of Jesus. The lamb who takes away the sin of the world. That's who he is. See, there's victory over death too. Look at Hebrews 2.9. What we do see is Jesus, who was given a position a little lower than the angels. And because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. Hebrews 2, 14 to 15, jump down there. says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. See, Jesus was guilty of no sin, but he suffered for everybody's sin. He tasted death, the Bible says, so that we don't have to, right? He was a substitute for everyone. Remember back in the day when uh, there'd be kings and they'd have like a food taster or a drink taster, you know, and and, uh, they'd always taste their food or drink their drink to make sure it wasn't poison, right? So, like, if the, if the taster dies, whoopee-doo, right? But it just couldn't get to the king. Here, Jesus steps in and tasted death for us. He took it himself to save you from having to experience it. Do you understand? Physical death is nothing. We're talking about spiritual death, eternal death. He's solved it. He's fixed it. He's tasted it. He's defeated it. You see, death is like a bully. It comes and it pushes everybody around. Everybody bows to it. But he stands up and says, "Uh uh-uh, no more. And he stands up and he defeats death, right? The poison cup of death that was supposed to go to us was taken by Jesus. So he set free all of those who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. See, there... And it's so true. See, the Bible is so practical when you get it, you know. You, when you deal with people who are dying or near dying and they, they don't have the confidence of the Lamb of God, I'll tell you there is fear. There is fear because people don't know what's yet to come. Am I good enough? Is there heaven? Is heaven and hell real? What's on the other side? Am I a good person? Have I done enough to be good? There's, there's question marks. Is there life after death? All these things. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. And here's what he's saying. Listen, listen, listen. 
I have been there. I am waiting for you on the other side. You have nothing to fear, right? This is what he says. We have somebody who has been there, tasted death, defeated it, and came back to tell us we have nothing to fear, right? 1 Corinthians uh, 15.55, he says, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the relationship a believer has with Jesus is actually an eternal one. When he becomes your friend and he's a part of your life, he's he's with you forever. He says, I am with you now and forever. I'm with you to the end of the age and beyond. He's waiting for us on the other side of this life, waiting for us. We say, right, to be absent from the body means to be present with the, that he is waiting for his children to come on home, that there is no more fear of sin and no more fear of death, for we have a Savior who conquered it all. This is the good news of Jesus. Look at this. This is what he also said, Jesus' own words. He said this, don't let your hearts be troubled, but trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. This is what he says, right? And then we looked at Titus, he is a God who does not lie. And so when he says there is a place prepared for you, and when everything is ready, when everything is ready, you see how casual he is about it? When everything is ready, I'll come and get you, and I'll bring you to myself so that we can be together forever. This is the relationship that we have. It's, I just had Buzz Lightyear, to infinity and beyond. Except with Jesus, it's real, right? We meet him now, and it's to infinity and beyond. He is with us forever, never to leave us and never to forsake us. His victory over sin and death now belongs to all of those who are called children of God, all of those who believe and receive. So he gives us new life. The victory that he did give us, victory over sin and death, and last, and we're going to wrap up here, is it, it also allowed us to be adopted into a new family. And it's a powerful truth today. See, not all of us have had the blessing of growing up in a good home with good parents. Many of you here have, but many of you here have not. It inspires all of us, I think, when we hear a story of a child who comes from a horrible situation and and uh, the little boy or the little girl gets adopted by a good family who's going to love them and care for them and give them, give them a home. There's something that feels right about that, eh? You know what I mean? Eh, Canadians? This is what God has done for us, right? Ephesians 1, 3 to 5. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. 
This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Isn't that really awesome news? He's a good father who knew that sin was going to enter the world and was going to break the relationship, break the connection, break the family connection that we had with him. And so he said, it's all right, we're going to send Jesus. And through his sacrifice, his victory over sin and death, we're going to offer people new life and we're going to offer them a new place to come back, be adopted back into the family of God. You're a son of God, a daughter of God, a child of God. We are a part of his family. He's a good father who is delighted to welcome us into his home, delighted to welcome us into his family. See, the perfectly finished work of Jesus on the cross has made it possible for us to have a close relationship with God, right? He actually, he's the one that describes it like a family. He's the one that started that. Not, not some preacher, some church. It was God who said, it's like a family. You're family now. You're adopted in. I am your father. And whether you had a good earthly father or not, don't worry, you have a great heavenly father. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I I have defeated sin and death. I am with you forever and ever and ever. Close your eyes for the last time. And when you open them on the other side of eternity, I will be there. I will never leave you. This is what he says. We are children of God. See, When everything is working the way that it should, children are loved. Children are cared for by parents. And the family unit is strong, right? A good family is supportive. It's loving. It sets the foundation for everybody, mom and dad and all the children in the family, to become the best that they possibly can be. A dysfunctional home will limit people. You know that. But when they're built up in a good home with a good parent, you set the foundation to see your children fly and soar. Mom soars, dad soars, everybody does well. This is how it's meant to be. It's how everybody is supposed to be. It's how we become the best versions of ourselves, right? When you receive Jesus into your life, you become part of this new family. He is our father, and you gain this close relationship with him the best father that you could ever possibly know, who loves you more than you could understand. He wants to help you in every single way in your life. He, he said, he's the one that said, look, if you who are evil parents know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask? He wants to look after his kids. He wants to be a part of your life. He wants to be important to you, just like you do with your kids. He wants that for you because you're his kid. And this is how he sees it. We are in his family. We gain this relationship. Look what what, uh, David said, Psalm 68, said he's a father to the fatherless. He's a defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. And he sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. But he makes the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. See, being in a good family, it's a huge blessing. A huge blessing. But being in the family of God, it's even better. 
It's even better. So when Jesus shouted this last word, telestai, it is finished. When he shouted this word, I want, and I'm just going to get there in a second. I want you to remember this. It was a shout of victory, not a cry of defeat. All right? Never think it was anything but a shout of victory. That's what it was. That's what it always will be. Right? He shouted it. Now, Matthew is the one that records it. Put that up for me. Matthew 27. It says this. Then Jesus shouted out again, Telestai. And then he released his spirit. So I just had a thought. A telestai is a weird word to yell out, but maybe, how about we yell out finished? How about that? Could we do that together? All right, I'm going to count to three. One, two, three, and then we're going to yell it out, all right? Let's do it. We're going to say the word finished. Are you with me? One, two, three. Finish. Very good. Yeah. Let's do that again. Come on. One, two, three. Finish. He is finished. Perfectly finished. Telestai. It is finished forever. Paid in full. Perfect. Will always be finished. Completed. Accomplished. Nothing left to be done. It is finished. Victory over sin and death. New life to those who want it. Adoption into a new home for everybody who's willing to receive and believe. Nothing more is needed. Nothing ever more will be needed. It is finished, perfectly finished, paid in full, totally complete. The only question left is, are we wanting and willing to accept the finished work of Jesus for yourself, for us? It is a choice. See, he's not a bully. He offers it to you, but he, he wants you to receive it. Love has to be, for love to be real, it has to be free, right? You have to choose. He doesn't want to make you choose. He could have made us like robots, but he gave us that will, and sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but he gave us the opportunity to choose so that when we choose, it's real. When we say, I choose you, in the tank, I choose to serve him. I choose to come out of this tank and to walk with Jesus for the rest of my life. I choose, I'm committed, I'm in. You see, that's real. That's real. The only question left is, are you willing to accept the finished work of Jesus for yourself? It's a free gift, but you have to be willing to receive it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, That whoever believes in him will receive eternal life. That's what he said. That choice is still ours to make today, folks. In in 2019, 2,000 plus years later, the choice is still ours to make. His victory is complete and total and will last for eternity. It's our choice whether we are partakers of the victory or we choose to let it slip away. That choice is still ours to make today.